Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. This is a show that is coming to you by popular demand, not just my demand because it's a subject that's important to me, but it's something you want to talk about. And we're talking about your mental health, we're talking about your mindset, we're talking about anxiety and the feelings of inadequacy that sometimes surround all of us. And the reason that I say this is a show that's being done by popular demand because two months ago, probably, maybe even a little longer than that, depending on when you're listening, I was doing an interview with Super Sid Clevenger, and he and I were just a couple of marketing guys talking about marketing, and we started talking about our own personal struggle with anxiety. And I got an overwhelming amount of feedback that it was so great for us to bring the subject up. It was so helpful for people to hear about that. So we started talking more about mental health and more about the focus on mindset here on the show. In fact, we're dedicating an entire day of the week to it. So my guest today is somebody that I've had circled on my calendar. I've had this interview, this conversation circled on my calendar for a long time. And that's because our guest is Heather Ryder, and she's an anxiety coach and an imposter syndrome educator. Yes, she's dedicating her career to helping people like you and me who feel inadequate whenever we start something new. So she has personally overcome high-functioning anxiety and imposter syndrome while working in a demanding tech job. Now, she works with clients from all over the world who want to take a non-traditional holistic approach to healing anxiety. I can't wait to talk about this. Heather regularly writes and presents on the issues of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, high-functioning anxiety, and other anxiety-related topics. Now, it is so great to have Heather here because I struggle with this on a day-to-day -day basis. So do not send me comments after I introduce Heather and bring her on about how we're only talking about me. I'm doing this to express my vulnerability to make all of you feel better. So please welcome to the show, Heather Ryder. All right, Heather, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you being here to help me get my head straight and by doing so, helping hundreds of other people get their head straight. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Dave. I am happy to chat with you about this topic. All right, so start with you and your own personal journey. How did, how did this affect you and how did it come to become a, a significant part of the fabric of your, of your work? Yeah, so as you mentioned in the introduction, I used to work in technology. I live in Austin, Texas. Um, it's a big tech town. And so I did not know that I was struggling with high-functioning anxiety for a really long time. Um, high-functioning anxiety is sort of a hidden anxiety. It's really common among high achievers. And the irony is that high-functioning anxiety in a lot of ways really propels and drives successful people to be even more successful. Uh, unfortunately, though, you feel really, really terrible in your head and in your everyday life while you're pushing yourself to succeed. And that was the case with me. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, if you say the word anxiety, which you mentioned that sort of a lot when you were giving the intro into our or episode today, it's like whatever I thought anxiety looked like, that wasn't me, right? It was like I wasn't having panic attacks. I was super successful in my job and life. And so I sort of had this idea of, you know, somebody who has anxiety, 
they can't get up, they can't get out of bed, they can't function, you know, sort of thing. And that wasn't me. And so I was struggling for so long because I didn't know that high functioning anxiety was a thing. And the very short story is it took a really severe autoimmune reaction for me to actually sort of, it was a brick upside the head. Um, when you're living in a chronic stress state, your stress hormones are up and they're, you know, burning out your nervous system, right? And so that's what happened with me is I tipped my body over into this state where it couldn't, you know, kind of handle itself anymore. And I wound up getting really sick. And that was actually the push that I needed to get better. Um, because when I started to focus on healing my physical body, I got all sorts of emotional healing that I didn't even know that I needed. And that was sort of my way out. Um, and it, it became apparent to me after I got better that I was struggling with anxiety because I still hadn't even recognized it. And that is what you know made me realize that all of the things that I went through were designed for me to help other people and that I needed to work with people who are kind of former versions of me, like really goal-oriented high achievers who are recognizing that there has to be a better way of living than, you know, trapped in their own mind of, of anxiety. Okay. I, um, I can relate personally to everything you said, and I'm sure our listeners and people who are watching on YouTube, or if they're watching this clip on social, they can all relate to, uh, things that you've said. Talk about how, you know, Right. Because I didn't know either until until I had a full blown panic attack. I didn't know that I had issues with anxiety. So what are, what are some of the early signs that you may want to you may want to talk to someone because you, this this could be something that's that's creeping into your life? Yeah, I love that you just said you had a panic attack. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm sure that you know now, looking back before the panic attack, there was a bunch of signs, right? That yeah. you probably had that you were ignoring, right? Yeah, just like me. And so there are some things I would say uh, can be some indicators. So first of all, a lot of people have uh, you know, body cues that they're having anxiety. Like they might feel some tightness in their chest or the another common one is some you know sort of sensations or tightness in their throat or even just like you know their stomach or their gut is just feeling like uh kind of nauseous and all like tangled up a lot of the time those are really good indicators that you might have anxiety because your body is actually trying to help you it's trying to say hey your nervous system is really overloaded right now and we're trying to give you these signals before you tip over into the panic attack so those that's one thing uh, that people can look for is, you know, some people are more aware of their bodies than others. So for some people, when I just said that it's not going to help them at all because they're just not that in tune with their body. Some other things that people can look for, though, are really their sort of mental state. Uh, people with anxiety are not in the present moment. They're either thinking about the past. And this is really true for people with high functioning anxiety, really critiquing things that they did and playing them out over and over in their mind, thinking about how could I have done that better? What could I have said better? Or how could I have responded to what someone said better, right? Just like that's called rumination, doing that over and over in their mind, or they're really concerned about what might be coming in the future. 
and thinking into the future and worried and concerned about what might happen so much so that they're making like all sorts of contingency plans in their head. Like, okay, if this happens, this is how I'll respond. If that doesn't happen, then this might happen. And if that happens, I can take it over here in this direction. So it's like strategizing almost like a mental chess game to prepare yourself for all possible <laughs> contingencies of what could happen. Ding, 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 ding. That's me right there. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I know. That's when I know I'm taking it too far. Right. Exactly. So that's that's exactly when I like hurricane season here in Florida. I live in Miami hurricane season. I have no joke. This is no joke. I have nine now 40 pound propane canisters <laughs> that I have full for hurricane season. Why? To power my generator. OK, you know, and nine is because I'm ready to go nine days without power. Now, do I need nine? I don't need nine. I probably need two, right? Because I can go get them refilled. I'm not going to have to wait online for five days to get pro. I mean, it's just, that's the kind of thing, right? So hurricane season uh, for me is a time when I, you know, the, the way I've coped with that over the years, I just have a checklist. Hurricane season starts. I go through the checklist. Everything's on the checklist. And then I can put that aside and I don't have to ruminate over that anymore but that's who i am and one of the things that my wife and i have come to live with is the the balance of that you mentioned this part of that is what makes me good at what i do so i don't you know i don't miss a lot of stuff that i should be covering in order to be successful but sometimes i go way overboard and it's the going overboard that you're saying is an early warning sign so that's me and now i recognize that in myself so if the people are out there and you're thinking to yourself you know i'm just planning and i'm just you know planning for contingencies and that that, that makes sense but you got to balance possibility with probability right is it possible that we could be have a hurricane here and be without power for nine days sure is it probable i've lived here 14 years and that's happened one time and it was five days we didn't have power not nine <laughs> so recognizing these these early warning signs is critical um let's talk about the physical for a minute okay because i don't want to gloss over that you mentioned tightness in your chest and this is how i knew that i was on the road to having a panic attack i had tightness in my chest and i was always taught tightness in your chest you don't wait you go to the hospital right away right so we want people who are experiencing that to go to the hospital if you find you're in the hospital you know once or twice and that tightness in your chest has no physical diagnosis that's when you need to get help yeah Yes, this is an interesting conversation because, of course, we don't want someone to be having a heart attack and not go to the hospital, but this has happened with numerous clients of mine. I mean, one person was in her very early 30s and in very good shape. She went to the hospital because she thought she's having a heart attack or something was wrong. There's nothing wrong with her. She it was it was her anxiety. Mm -hmm. And if you look up the statistics of this, most emergency room visits for cardiopulmonary events, right, heart or lung, it has nothing to do with the physical body. It's psychological and most of the time it's anxiety. And so we've got to just really tune into is your body trying to give you some signals or not? 
And I mean, I could just go on and on about this, you know, potential client that I talked to again, this guy it was over Zoom. So I don't know what he looked like in person. He looked like he was in very good shape, chronic, like chest pain, heart pain goes to the doctor. The doctor's like, this is anxiety. The guy doesn't believe him, has this whole workup done, you know, numerous, numerous tests, EKG. The doctor's like, okay, there's really nothing wrong with you. And so you're right, Dave. I mean, maybe that first visit is what somebody needs, right? Mm -hmm. To give themselves the, okay, it's not actually medical. And if it's not medical and the doctor is saying, okay, this is just anxiety, then starting to tune into your body and recognize the signs. And like I just said, your body's trying to help you. It's not the opposite. It's not trying to like it out to get you. It's actually trying to say, hey, you've got to pay attention to your stress level. Right now, we're trying to help you. You've got to calm down and find some tools to bring that stress response down. Okay, so you're, you, you're a listener to the show and you notice some of these signs in yourself, right? You're, you're starting to notice that you plan for every possible contingency. Um, you, uh, you feel like a, it's a constant, the way I describe it to people is a constant state of tension. Like uh, there's a, you have this mental checklist and you just feel like you never get everything crossed off your checklist because there's so much to do, right? What do people do when they start to feel some of these things that, that you described, that I just described? What's What should they do immediately? So, yeah, because we're kind of talking about these two interesting things, right? There's like the brain and the body sort of thing. And so if people are more veering towards the, like you said, the mental checklist, I used to have massive insomnia. I could usually go to sleep, but I couldn't stay asleep because the second, you know, you wake up many times during the night, right? During your sleep cycle, the second I'd get up into that lighter sleep, I would wake up and, and be like, what, what day is it? What do I have to do? What's on my list? You know, it was like, boom. I mean, I cannot even describe it. It's like somebody snaps. And then I was just like running through the checklist already. Was there something I didn't do? And those are indicators, right, that that you've got anxiety at play. And so you've got to start to be aware of your thought process. And is your mind sort of playing these tricks on you? And so I would start to do things. Um, this is the, you know, pre pre Heather that I am now of saying things like, Heather, you can worry about that later. And giving myself some a specified time this is what i recommend to people this sounds kind of crazy a specified time in your day that you're allowed to worry about things <laughs> like you could put it on your calendar right that's like, a great that's a great yeah, technique yeah it's a like great technique three o'clock i'm gonna give myself 15 minutes to worry so then when your brain goes to those states you'd be like oh but it's not three o'clock yet like i got it on the calendar right now i'm gonna do this other thing and i'm gonna worry about this later especially if you're waking up in the middle of the night just be like, okay, I, I'm allowed to worry about that, but not right now. I need to, you know, go back to sleep. And so this, there's, this is so convoluted that it's like hard for me not to get into the real thing. There are tools and techniques that people can do when they're spiraling or in when they're in overwhelm 
But the real answer is that we need to get at the reasons we have anxiety, and that is because of past experiences, past traumas, which by the way, everyone has them, even if they don't recognize them, because there's like big T trauma and little t trauma. And so we have to get at the subconscious old programming, limiting beliefs and traumatic experiences that we've all had to actually heal up around those to be free from anxiety. So, I mean, Dave, you and I could chat about a bunch of tools and techniques and I'm happy to do that. But if people are listening and they're really recognizing like, oh my gosh, I don't wanna have panic attacks. They're gonna have to actually do something about the fundamental reasons that they have anxiety because all the tools and techniques are great, but you don't wanna do those for 20 years of your life, right? You know, like one actual right. results. Right. One of the things that helped me and some of our listeners, people who've, who've watched the show uh, over time will have heard this story before. I, so I, I realized that I, uh, I was struggling with this. I, I've, I've had this feeling my entire life, but I didn't realize what it was until 2000. I was going through uh, a divorce and it was, uh, it was a problem for me because the marriage was a very short marriage and there were there were some things I believed I should have recognized before I entered into the marriage and it was a source of embarrassment for me and that was a and that was a big trigger and then while that was kind of wrapping up while the divorce was it was in progress but it was almost finished uh, we 9-11 hit and I was in New York City running a business uh, with clients in the financial district in the World Trade Center with um, employees in the financial district in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And the the I you know that that time period, the 9-11 time period for about 60 days, it was a it was an all consuming business event. So I didn't have time for anxiety then. What ended up happening was probably November of that year when it was apparent that there, there wasn't going to be another attack in New York and it wasn't imminent. The, all the feelings and things that were associated with that event combined with the things going on in my personal life, it was like a wave that just overwhelmed me. And that's when I, I had my first panic attack and I started having subsequent panic attacks after that. Um, dealing with the, the people who had passed away and dealing with the business consequences of, of the events surrounding that, that wasn't the, the thing that did it for me. It was anticipatory. It was anticipatory anxiety of all the things that could potentially happen moving forward. And I, you know, at that point, I said to myself, and I immediately recognized those intense feelings from previous times in my career, but it had it got to a point where it was really intense when I was getting on a plane to go somewhere. And I didn't, I didn't know what had triggered it until it took me, you know, hours and hours of having conversations with a therapist to understand that although I had never experienced trauma while flying and I had always been a great flyer, it was the events that led to 9-11 that, you know, having been a part of those events intensely and then seeing what the catalyst was for it and now getting on a plane, that was the trigger for me. And once I, you know, just learning that was a relief. 
learning what was triggering this to me was a relief. And then the techniques to deal with it and everything was helpful. But your point is, is so important that we've got to get to what the root causes of this, uh, of, of the anxiety is, or what the triggers for the, the anxiety attacks are. And then after that, discovering that if I could, uh, if I could bring these on myself, I could think my way out of these situations. So the doctor said to me, you know, after like a third or fourth session, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try this. Go home and relax. And while you're sitting on your couch, you know, turn the TV off while you're sitting on your couch, try and try and create anxiety. Just mentally try and create anxiety among yourself. See if you can bring on, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, an anxious state. In fact, see if you can bring on an attack. See if you can bring on a panic attack. So I'm sitting home after that appointment and I'm on my couch and I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it. And right, actually right now, while I'm telling you the story, my palms are starting to sweat. And I was able to get myself all worked up. And his point was well taken that if you can bring this on yourself, you can stop it yourself or at least control it or manage it. And to me, those two things, realizing the trigger and then realizing that I had the ability in my mind to have an impact on this physical reaction, that changed everything for me. That was the thing that changed. And, you know, techniques are great, but your point is, is so important that it's, you know, we have the ability to, to manage this. Yeah, you said so many amazing things because it is all in our mind. This is all our mind betraying us. And we do absolutely have the power to shift anything uh, and it does take some work. I mean, it's not easy, right? But it's like, if there is a commitment level to wanting to, it's not even control. There is control element, but recognizing like, oh, if there's some fundamental things underneath the anxiety, if we can change that, that's where we're able to move into another state. And I want to make an interesting correlation because I don't know if you had thought about this yet, but so... I cannot even imagine what it's like to be in 9-11, right? Like when all of that's going down and you had massive PTSD, it's understandable, right? Like that is just mind blowing to have lived through that. And so if we think about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this very bottom layer is like, we have to feel safe and we have to feel secure. Do we have like our base needs met? And when you were just talking about the hurricanes and how you have like over prepared and you lived through this one hurricane that's the sort of maslow's hierarchy again at play because you were in that moment of like we don't have electricity we don't have you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and i can say i just i'm in texas and just you know about a month ago we had this massive storm here that knocks out power for like the almost the entire state that was the only time i've ever been through that and i didn't recognize that i was in this stress response that i think that is what you were alluding to as well because for many days it's like when's the power back coming back on is the water coming back on are we going to get food nobody's coming to save us kind of thing yep. and so when you move out of that that's when you can finally actually process and that's what i heard you say is like 
in the middle of 9-11, you're just like going, 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 right? And then it's days later that, or maybe a couple months later, you said like, you're really starting to process that. And so I think that that is also what you're talking about with the hurricane again, and maybe why you have this sort of um, heightened state around however many tanks of propane you've gotten. Part of it is because of the 9-11 thing, because your mind is still going back to like, massive worst case scenario, right, where you've seen everything falling apart. And so you're probably just still in a heightened state around that. And that's sort of maybe playing out a little bit with the like extra propane in Florida. And so I think what people can take away from this, uh, of what I'm saying is that we all have the past experiences. And I want people to recognize this the things that you are mentioning, they are very severe, they are very traumatic, but everyone has those in their life, even if they don't recognize it. Because if you think back to something from when you were a kid, as an adult, your perspective is really different. But when you're a five or a six year old kid, it's the equivalent of the hurricane. It just doesn't seem that way when you're 30 or 40 or whatever. Sure, sure. Oh, I recognize that now in in my kids. So one of the things that so my uh, my daughter is is that she has uh, slightly she has less anxiety that I want to say than my son. My son is twelve. My daughter is ten. But my son is he's on the same path that I'm on, and we're you know and and we've taught him. My wife and I are teaching him how to how to deal with this, and he is in so many ways. I see in him what I see in myself, but it's that that it's that edge that makes him exceptional at a lot of the things he does. And I'll give you an example. So he decided to take up mixed martial arts pre-pandemic and he uh, for three years he was intense six days a week he it was you know from the time he was nine and a half he he's been running we have a treadmill at home uh he asked for a rowing machine we got him a rowing machine at home just because it's great for it's a great physical exercise and his uh his training regimen uh is one that he and i worked on together and he pushes himself he's he's got that mental checklist too and he competed you know uh dozens and dozens of times each year when he was 11 he was the number one kid in his age and weight class in the state of florida in um in uh kempo karate and his the, the fight that gave him the points that put him over the top, he was facing a kid he had fought before, and he lost in a tough decision, heartbreaking decision, uh, to this to this other kid a year prior. And so, uh, it, and his, these two kids are teammates. They train together. So because they're teammates, his, current, his coach could not work his corner because the coach coached both of them. So I'm working his corner for this fight. He's an 11-year-old kid, right? So we're, we're in his corner before the fight, and I said to him, um, you know, your training is going to take over because his, his coach is, is phenomenal. I said, Mr. Noel told you that you will default to your level of training, and you've trained harder than anybody possibly could train for this. So your training is going to take over. What's the one thing that you know you have to do in order to win this fight? He said to me, and it's this is... It was the thing that, that caused him to win, but it's the thing that I know that he has the same anxiety that I have. He said, I can't let this fight be close. If this fight is close, 
they'll take it away from me. It cannot be close. And he went out, and to this day, he's two, two years, almost two years past that. We watched this video to show just what, uh, you know, a kid going flat out for three minutes looks like. And he, the fight wasn't close. He, you know, as much as an 11-year-old kid can, destroyed this kid. And this was the event that he probably replayed in his mind, the one that he lost, hundreds of times that motivated him to get to this point. So afterward, weeks afterward, we're sitting around talking about, you know, what he's doing and his goals for, you know, the future. And I said to him, you have to realize that you have something special. And that thing special is something that you need to harness. And what it is, is, and I explained as best I could what this feeling of anxiety was. I said, if you let it get carried away, it could, you know, it could really drive you crazy. I said, but you have to understand that this thing, this, this ability that you have is going to help propel your success for years and years and years to come. And so, you know, we're teaching him to look at it as a positive and to harness it. And candidly, you know, that's, that's my attitude toward this in my life. But I figured it out through trial and error. Now, those of you who are listening, you know, based on what Heather's saying and, and my, my experience, you don't have to figure it out through trial and error anymore. You know you've got this, right? Heather, has that been your experience too, that this could give you an edge if you can harness it? Oh, gosh. You know, what you were just saying, I want to highlight as a growth mindset. So every experience that we have, I'm a really spiritual person, by the way. So every experience that we have is really designed for us and designed for our personal growth. And so if you look at the um, anxiety as an example, this is how I turned this into my career, because all of this, you know, shiz that I went through, I'm not having this be for nothing. Mm -hmm. Like this is for me to help other people. But anything that happens in anyone's life, we're not victims. I mean, there's a lesson in everything. So if you can take that and say, well, what am I supposed to learn from this? And shift it into that. This even goes back to the simple body thing. Like, wait a minute, my body's trying to help me. Do you hear that? As, as opposed to my body's out to get me. Right. So if you can take anything and say, wait a minute, if this is for me and if this is designed for me so I can learn and grow, what's the lesson I'm supposed to be getting here? Because, by the way, there was all sorts of things I was ignoring along the way. Like I mentioned, this severe autoimmune reaction. There was a lot of things my body was trying to help me. It just I was not paying attention. And then it tipped over into me getting really sick. And so if we can look at anything and say, okay, I want to get the lesson here, because if you don't get it, you're going to keep getting the lesson until you get it. <laughs> so you might as well take the easier path and be like, okay, wait a minute, I'm seeing a pattern here. What is it that I'm supposed to be noticing here? Because it all comes back to you and it all does come back to our mind and our mindset. And so slow down enough in anything and say, well, there is something happening here. I'm not getting like I'm not putting the puzzle together. What is it? That is much more empowering, right, than to think that everything's just not working. And, and why am I like living in this chronic state? That's a victim mentality. And so if we can shift into taking this as a positive and saying, okay, there's something here I'm supposed to grow from that. I don't know that that to me feels a lot better. 
I, you know, I love your, the, the spirituality connection and I, uh, I'm, I, that's, I have that belief as well. I don't, I don't know that I've connected it to spirituality before, but uh, it makes, it makes sense to me now that you say that we, in, in our cars, in every one of our cars, we have a fire extinguisher and you know, my, um, my kids asked one time, why do we have a fire extinguisher in the car? My wife just kind of rolled her eyes. And, uh, and I said, in case, you know, in case we see a car that's on fire or we see a fire somewhere, we have, we're prepared. So we're driving home from a holiday concert and there's, we're in, I have a big family. We're in four cars. Okay. My sister-in-law is in one car, um, with somebody, uh, probably uh, my wife's aunt, my niece is in another car. I'm in a car with my son. And then my wife is in a car with like in our truck with like five people in a suburban with five people. And we're all driving in a line on the Florida turnpike, heading back to our home. And a guy in a pickup truck throws a cigarette out the window, lands in the back of his pickup truck where he has rags that he was using for paint <laughs> and paint thinner. And it immediately combusts. So my wife rolls down the window in her car and she points the guy to the back of his truck. He pulls over. I immediately pull over and my son grabs a fire extinguisher. We take the fire extinguisher and we put out the fire in this guy's truck. Other people pull over and they help. We pull the rags out of the truck and that sort of thing. My point is about your your spirituality uh, connection, right? Who who? What other normal citizen carries a full, you know, a full? <laughs> like I I don't have the little fire extinguisher that you would put on a boat. I have a full fire extinguisher, like you saw in grade school when you were a little kid, right? And that was enough to put out the fire in that truck. So I believe that you know, these things happen for a reason. I got that fire extinguisher and I may, I thought to myself, I may never use it, but you know, it within, you know, six, seven months of putting it in the back of the car, there was an opportunity to use it. I may never need it again. Maybe that was the only reason I was supposed to have it there. So, you know, because I'm an anxious person and I prepare for things that other people don't think of, I was able to, to handle that. I was able to take care of that. So maybe that's my mission in life and maybe, you know, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I have this. You know, we tell our kids, this is, you know, this is a superpower. This is a gift that you have, but you have to harness it. And that's the way I look at it. That's how, you know, that's how I get through the day with, with this. So I like your, I like your connection to spirituality. So if people, if people have this feeling, right? And they, and they, you know, it's taken me, I'm 53 years old. It's taken me probably 20 years of my adult life to get to this point. If people are not at this point and they're at the point where they have, they're having the physical symptoms, what do they do? So I, it's, I always want to give these deeper answers, right? So it's like, if somebody is at the point where they are recognizing, they're listening to this and they are saying, this sounds so much like me. I mean, either part of your story or part of mine or part of both. There has to be a commitment and a trust that there's something better, that your life does not have to be riddled with you being trapped in your mind. And so there has to be some sort of willingness to trust that you can still be successful without the anxiety. And I think that people who listen to your show are probably high achievers, and that's who I attract. That's why I mentioned that at the beginning, 
But there is this thing this that people don't recognize this subconscious belief that people think, well, yeah, my I'm so dissatisfied. I've got the chest pain or I've got the insomnia or, you know, I can't stop doing X and I feel horrible inside my head. But they think, oh, if I give this up, I'm going to be lazy. I've had people say that to me before, like, in a, you know, and in, in what I'm talking to people in discovery calls, they're they're just like, yeah, it sucks. But I think if I let this go, then what? And that is the anxiety talking, right? right. That's the anxiety. That's not the real them. And so I want to tell people I'm still really successful without the anxiety. You can be really successful sure. in your life without being in the mind trap. It's possible because where success actually comes from is from your subconscious beliefs about yourself. So if you believe you can be incredibly successful and not work your ass off, then you're gonna be really successful and not work your ass off, right? So, it, so if you recognize where success comes from, it doesn't come from the anxiety, that's actually making it harder for you <laughs> if you can let go of that and think, hey, it's possible for me to be really amazing and goal-oriented and feel really great, then then that's what's going to happen for you. Sure, sure. I uh, I think that's I think that's spot on. I think your the the letting go part is is the is the hardest part of that though. And one of the things that is very helpful for me is to have someone to check in with to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. You know, am I am I taking this too far? And, you know, in my case, in my life now, it's uh, it's my wife and I tell her, you know, often that she's, you know, that she saved my life because she serves as a person to, you know, to, to say, ah, I think that's a valid, I think, th I think what you're saying is 100% valid and I think you should go with that and we should, you know, and you should find a way to, to work on it. Or she says, Nope, you're you're crossing crossing the border into crazy town. Back up, <laughs> turn the car around. <laughs> you know we don't need to go there. <laughs> you know too much. One generator enough. Two generators overkill. Three generators crazy town. Turn around. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think and that's, that's and that having that person is that's what that that's it's so helpful. So we need, we all need to find so it could be a therapist it could be somebody you trust somebody has to just be able to give you the candid feedback but also recognize that not every single you know anxious moment is is going to be something that's unproductive it just doesn't need to lead to anxiety so look you can hurricane season you can prepare make a checklist prepare and then move on from it until there's a storm coming right that's that's the way to handle it. You wanna you wanna feel good about things. Put a fire extinguisher in your car and then forget about it. And then just drive around. And if you come across a fire, you're ready, right? You don't have to take a class on how to be a firefighter and know the different types of fire extinguishers. And you know that's the kind of thing where you know. And the other thing, and Heather, you can speak to this better than anybody. One of the things that was really helpful for me in recognizing behavior in myself was I had a I had a salesperson who worked for me who's now a dear dear friend um and her family and my family are very very close and she had anxiety that was almost to the point where it was debilitating 
So she would go through these periods of time where she would have trouble leaving her home or where she needed to be uh, medicated beyond just, you know, regular day-to-day medication, like serious sedative medication. And she was experiencing one of these difficult periods and we, we had conversations about it and it really, it helped her get beyond it but it was helpful to me in trying to help her through it because it allowed me to verbalize like this conversation is a lot of the things that I've felt over time. Have you found that you helping other people has helped you? Oh, of course. Right. Because anytime you're uh, articulating something out loud, especially because I'm a verbal processor, right? So it's like recognizing that talking to someone else helps you to, you know, sort of take what's in your head and then put it out into the world. And of course, working with my clients is always an opportunity for me to practice what I am preaching, right? I mean, it is. It's like I say do X and then I have to look at my own life and say, am I doing that in my own life? And so the more I delve into my own past experiences, because I do use this with my coaching clients, it's like there's always an opportunity for me to just bring something from my past that relates into what they are going through. That helps me have even bigger layers of understanding of myself, right? Of Like, oh, that's where that thing came from. And that's the understanding of yourself just sort of peels back the layers. Sure, sure. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. And this, okay. is, this is something that I think everybody feels when they start something new. But I think imposter syndrome is more than just your, you know, just your average fake it till you make it uh, type feeling. So describe for people what imposter syndrome is. Yes. So imposter syndrome, you're right, it goes beyond this fake it till you make it sort of thing. It is not being underconfident. It's not a lack of self-esteem. It's actually much more than that. So it is feeling like you are faking it or you're a fraud in your life. Like you're pretending to know how to do something that you don't actually know how to do. This is what you think, right? Like, Oh, I'm acting like I know how to do this, but I don't. And I'm going to get found out. People are going to find me out. So it can apply to business owners, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm acting like I know how to do this. And my clients are going to figure out, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. If it's at work, it's this sort of thing where, oh, I'm going to get fired because people are going to realize I've been pretending this whole time to know what I'm doing and I don't. It can also actually even apply, though, to personal lives like creative pursuits where people want to do something let's say it's art, I'll just use that as an example, or like maybe be a writer, but they feel like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, so they don't do it. And it can even apply to parenting, by the way, where it's like you feel like I should know what I'm doing in this whole parenting thing, but I don't. I'm just pretending to know how to do this. And so it's really, really detrimental because, again, it's this dialogue that's going through your head. And oftentimes, For me, when I had imposter syndrome, it's like a disassociated state where you really are pulling your, it's so overwhelming that you're like pulling yourself almost out of your body. And people describe it this way. It's like an out of body experience Mm. where you're so in the imposter syndrome that it's like you become two separate 
people. <laughs> it's like, and that's how it was for me. I was sitting at my job back when I had a corporate job and I was sitting at my desk one day doing this work. And I felt like I was pretending to do the work that I was actually doing. And it felt like I was in a movie. That's the best way to describe it. And I didn't know it was called like being disassociated then. I felt like I was in a movie. I felt out of my body. And I've heard that from other people. They'll say, it's like I'm having an out of body experience when they're really, really in the middle of imposter syndrome. It's like, it's this bizarre feeling. So what do you do when you feel that? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, recognize that it's going on because it's not always as extreme as I just said, right? Because there's layers to it, but you've got to recognize when those thoughts are coming in because you, for any, this is true for anxiety, right? Or imposter syndrome. And there's a big overlap, by the way, why I talk about both of these is people who have high functioning anxiety and people who have imposter syndrome they're very correlated and also beneath both of those is perfectionism. Okay. Mm. So just want to give people that, cause they may be like wondering how did we jump from this topic to this topic, but you've got to recognize that dialogue that's coming into your head when you have imposter syndrome, because again, this is where this is just, ah, it's the people who are very high achievers and really goal oriented, they're the ones who have imposter syndrome. Like this is the irony. It's people who are really good at what they do, who feel like they're faking it. It like it's the really high achievers who absolutely are really good at what they do, who doubt what they are doing. And so this is when you've got to recognize, oh, those thoughts are coming in of, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to get found out because you do know what you're doing you're actually probably really accomplished at what you were doing. But as you said, it does sometimes crop up for people when they're doing something new. So it's like they've been really successful. And then let's say they're given a new project to work. It's something they've never done before. And again, irony, they were probably given it because they're really good. So whoever it is, like their boss trusts them. It's <laughs> like, I know you can do this. And that's why I'm giving right. it to you, right? right. And so you've got to recognize, like, is it because I'm trying something new before, um, something that I've never done before, and I want to bring something in here that I think is a nuance for people. There are different, um, like, types of imposter syndrome. Um, it's It doesn't always look the same for people. And there's this thing called the natural genius. So this is someone who's very good at things naturally, like they don't have to exert a lot of effort. They just sort of know how to do something. But then every once in a while, they'll get thrown something new and they don't automatically know how to do it. So that brings up massive imposter syndrome because it's like, oh, all these other things come easy and I don't know what I'm doing right now. I like have to actually expend some effort <laughs> to try and figure this out. But that makes them feel like they're faking it because they all they know how to do these other things and then they don't know how to do this new thing. So that can bring up a lot of imposter syndrome. So I'm kind of um, weaving lots of things here. So what kind of questions do you have to keep keep myself on track? No, no. I think I, I, I maybe it's maybe it's the two of us anxious people that are. I'm I'm right there with you. So okay. I don't I don't think we're I don't think we're going all over the place at all. Okay. I, you know I see the I see the correlation. I see the correlation because you're so you you go into a new role. Let's say you get a new job. 
And I mean, this has been, this was my experience before I became an entrepreneur. I would interview for a job that was aspirational and I would become a finalist for the interview and I would do really well during the interview process. I wasn't nervous at all because I thought in no way are they going to pick me for this job, right? And then I'd become a finalist for the job. And then they would decide that they were going to, you know, I was, I had earned the job. I was the best candidate. And then I'm in the job and I'm thinking to myself, well, now what? <laughs> you know, I did great in that interview process, but how am I going to pull this off? And so what I would do is, and this is where the anxiety comes in. Here's how we're going to connect the dots for people. Because I was an anxious person, I would look at other people who had had similar jobs or the same job. I would look at their behavior and then I would model that behavior and that level of depth, that level of study comes from that anxiety of, oh, I'm going to be found out, right? And then I would take any little success I had mentally and build on it until eventually I got out of the feeling that I was the imposter. So three, four, five months into the job, I'd have little successes and I'd be like, yeah, I can do this. It's you know, modeling the behavior of other people who are successful. I totally am that person. I can do this. And that's how I would pull myself out of the imposter syndrome. So if you're looking for, if you're listening or watching us and you're looking for the correlation between imposter syndrome and anxiety, the, the, the correlation is, oh my gosh, this is new. There are so many things to learn. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to learn it. And until then, I'm an imposter. And then you realize that modeling other people's behavior is a great path. Do that. And you can break free of the feeling of imposter syndrome. Does that make sense? You said two really important things in there. So the first is recognizing your achievements and so for people with imposter syndrome, they have this grandiose view of where they should be. And so they don't uh, look at their small successes. And you know, I'm using quotation marks there because the successes generally aren't small. So you've got to look at anything, the wins, as you said, and be like, okay, I am making progress towards this. Look, here's some evidence of this thing. So that's one, like actually, acknowledging for yourself it has to come from yourself a lot of the time because you may not get it externally unfortunately that just may not happen so you have to validate your own successes and achievements no matter how small but also there's this you know sort of concept especially with something new of having just in time learning because the anxiety and the imposter syndrome can be so overwhelming because you're looking at all the things you don't know how to do and you can just be like how am i ever going to get there well, you're going to start small and you're just going to keep going and you're going to figure out what is what do I need to know right now? I can't know everything. I can't know it all. So what is like the one next thing that is really crucial and how do I learn that thing? And oftentimes, by the way, people with imposter syndrome are very hesitant to ask other people for help because they see that like as a sign of weakness or, um, you know, an admittance of, I don't know what I'm doing. Because if you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't have to ask somebody for help, right? Mm. <laughs> right. It's right, but no, like ask people for help because this, this circles back around to what you were saying about like me helping people and does that help me grow? People actually love to help other people, right? Because then it is makes them feel like, number one, they know what they're doing, but also, 
there is a big difference between just knowing something and teaching it to somebody else, right? There is a lot of nuance that comes into helping somebody understand something that you already know how to do. And most people who are teaching something get a lot out of the teaching because it helps them have layers of understanding that they didn't have before. So when you have imposter syndrome and you're asking somebody for help, it's actually a favor to them if you can think of it that way. Sure, sure. We, we see this all the time in business with people, particularly with, I see it with new entrepreneurs who come to me and they're looking to start their business and their biggest fear is that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to go broke. Okay. And one of the reasons why a lot of people who have a bankruptcy in their past are super successful is because that fear of going broke is no longer a strong fear for them because they've been broke and they're like, well, you know what? I got out of it once before. If I screw up and fall into that again, I'll get out of it again. And while that, you know, you can't be careless with the decisions you make, it removes that extra intensity to the feeling. The edge from that feeling is gone. So you still have to be prudent in your decision-making but you take more calculated risks than the person who's entering into something for the first time and thinking this is going to be the decision that that leaves me broke. And so when I when I see people who are, you know, who are saying, well, I just don't have that capability yet, the way you get the capability is by kind of pushing through that and taking some of the risks. So I see this a lot with people who uh, who are excellent speakers and they wanna grow their business through speaking in front of audiences. But they're afraid to take risks when they speak. They only, they, they speak on narrow topic areas or they don't demonstrate their own personal vulnerability up on stage, which is what really endears an audience to them. And the thing that I have them do, the very first thing I have them do is we, we develop a talk which makes them really vulnerable and I have them deliver that talk to complete strangers to realize that this experience is not, you know, this is not as, as threatening as you would think it could be. And something that is really, um, you know, and, and I, if you haven't noticed by now, I practice what I preach. So one of the things I did years ago was I became really comfortable speaking in front of groups and I felt like I had lost that edge. So I started doing stand-up comedy. I had never done it before. And if you want to be terrified in front of a group of people, go out and try and make strangers laugh, okay? <laughs> that is the most terrifying. I'd jump out of a plane with a parachute that had a 50% chance of opening before I would go up in front of a crowd, okay, and try and make them laugh. But that experience for me really put me in a situation where I was uncomfortable and I had to embrace that discomfort. And amazing things came from that. So when it comes to feeling like you're not good enough, I, I think my recipe would be, number one, recognize that it's universal. Everyone feels like that at some time. And then number two, like you said, celebrate the small victories and build on them. And number three, understand that your discomfort today will be your strength tomorrow it really is that's where strength really comes from and if you never put yourself in uncomfortable situations you're never going to realize how great you could potentially be 
Yeah, I was thinking that when you were talking about like, oh, I got this job that was stretchy. I didn't even know I was going to get an interview. And then you get the interview and you're like, wait, they're going to give me the job. <laughs> and you don't want to just stay in your comfort zone. That is the thing. And that's what you're saying is like imposter syndrome comes when you're pushing yourself and you're doing new things. And who wants to just keep, you know, if you have a corporate job and you're listening, who wants to just keep making lateral moves? That's boring and not going to get you anywhere. And if you did decide to open your, your own business, there's something that made you want to do that. And I will definitely say as a business owner, this is the biggest growth opportunity you can ever have for yourself. I find more than having a corporate job is opening up your own business. It will push you in ways you have never been pushed before. And I am really goal oriented. So actually I love that keeping myself on the edge because when I get complacent, things get a bit boring. Right. And so I love, this is a mindset thing that you just said as well. It's like, well, wait a minute. Do you, do you want to just stay in your comfort zone? Probably not. So that feeling of the imposter lets you know, well, you're pushing yourself. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Heather, you do great work. You help people with the things, the exact things that we're talking about today. Tell folks how you help other people with these issues. So I help people in a couple of different ways. I, of course, work with my one-on-one -on -one clients, and then I have group programs as well. Uh, I have found that I personally love working in with other groups of like-minded people. I get a lot out of that. So um, some people are more one-on-one, -on -one and some people prefer to be in groups. So I do those two things. Okay. So if people want to uh, have a discovery session with you to see how you work, what's the best way for them to reach out to you to get a hold of you? Yeah. If you want to go to my website, which is the energy I have a button that you can push that will take you directly to my calendar. And I do have information about my group programs on my website as well. Okay, so it's the energy synergist. We're putting that in the show notes. And then excuse me, Heather is launching some group programs. As soon as she does, we're going to put a link in the show notes to her group programs. I want you to keep in mind, and this is, this is the really important thing, and Heather helped us with this today, that if you have any of these thoughts or you have any of these issues or you recognize anything that we talked about today in yourself, you're not alone. There's, there are hundreds of thousands of people walking the planet feeling just the same way you feel. Heather and, and I included, right? So reach out to somebody like Heather. In fact, reach out to Heather and get have a discovery call, have a conversation. You'll be amazed at just how easy it is to open up to talk about this with somebody who's been there. And you'll also be amazed at how good you feel after just having the one conversation. So imagine if you had somebody that you could talk to regularly about this, if you had somebody who could help you with coping mechanisms, somebody who had been down this path themselves. It's so helpful to talk to other people. Heather, give us a really quick, give us an example of how having conversations about this has helped you and maybe an example about how, you know, somebody, a success story that you've had helping someone else. I totally agree with you that people feel really alone and isolated. And when they start to have conversations with other people, that's when they recognize I'm not alone. 
And when I was struggling with imposter syndrome, as an example, this was about eight years ago, I didn't know it had a name. How I found out was that thing that I described to you where I was like sitting at my desk feeling like I was in a movie. I searched on Google. I don't know what I searched. It was something weird, like feeling like I'm in a movie at work, like some random things in this web page came back for imposter syndrome. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this has a name. Other people feel this way. Cause I, I felt so completely alone. And just seeing that website was like enough to help me. And then I wound up hiring a coach by the way, because I knew I was like, this is holding me back in my career. Like I could really see that. And so we really quickly shifted the imposter syndrome. Um, and I wound up by the way, getting a really big raise um, by leaving the company I was at. Like I wound up feeling so empowered that I started noticing my successes. There's a whole big story about it, but it wound up being very, that imposter syndrome wound up being very lucrative. <laughs> Let's just say that um, when I shifted out of it. And then with my clients, you know, somebody who was popping into my mind as somebody who was struggling with anxiety and imposter syndrome in both her professional life and her personal life. So she was somebody who works in finance and was having a lot of trouble at work with like really not speaking up in meetings, really doubting herself. And she also was a writer in her free time and had written a book and had never shown it to anyone because she doubted that she could be a writer because she didn't have a degree in writing. And mm. so through my work with her, she really transformed her relationship with people at work, but then also started showing her book to people. I mean, that was huge, right? To like, like sort of come out of the, you know, writer's closet and be like, Hey, I wrote this thing, like showing it to people and having them read it. So that was really cool. All right. Well, this has been a really cool hour that we've spent together. So folks, I'm going to put Heather's information in the show notes. The energy synergist.com is her website. We'll also put links to her group programs in there. If you or someone you care about suffers from anything that we've talked about, have them listen to this episode, have them reach out to Heather, have them have a discovery call with Heather, have a conversation with Heather. Just the act of having the conversation will definitely make them feel better. It was an absolute pleasure, Heather, having you on today. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Having you here has done good for a lot of people, and this episode will continue to do good for a lot of people moving forward. So thank you so much for that. My friends, this is the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and I'm here every day taking you inside business strategy, sharing the insider business secrets, and helping you cut through all the inside BS that may be holding you back. We do a show like this every day. Please join us here on the podcast. And if you're listening and you're listening on iTunes, do me a favor, give us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help propel the show to the top of the charts. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. There's a subscribe button down there. Hit the subscribe button. We'd love to let you know when we post new episodes because we post them every day. We don't want you to miss anything. Until tomorrow, my friends, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.